This morning, we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 8. So if you have a Bible in front of you, open that up to Isaiah chapter 8. Um, we're taking a break from our series in Hebrews um, uh, for, for the Advent season, as John has already reminded us why that's so important. And for the next uh, four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, we're going to be looking at a promise that was given by God 700 years before Jesus was even born. 700 years. This is a 2,007-year-old, 700-year-old promise that we're reading this morning. And the words we're about to read, uh, uh, there is a, there's a promise of a new hope. Um, I always think of Star Wars when I think of that. Don't know why. Maybe it's my age. I don't know. Uh, but this hope uh, is in the form of a child that will be born. And that's why we're calling this series, To Us a Child is Born. That's a, that's a quote that's taken directly from Isaiah chapter 9. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this prophecy, in this prophecy, this promised child is given four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And it's these four names that we're going to look at over the next four Sundays of Advent. One each, one each week. And I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to try and set the scene for us and, and introduce this first name of this child that's promised. So let's read from Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 11, and we're going to go all the way through uh, to verse 7 of chapter 9. So let's hear God speak to us from Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. I'm going to pause there because that just means his strong hand upon me is this, the, the prophet's expression for feeling inspired very heavily that, that this is exactly what God has sent to them. And he goes on, and warned me not to walk in the way of people saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken and, be, and shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom, whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who, who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching, and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, turning their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there shall be, and, and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. This is a time of year when uh, we, we, tend to, we, we tend to look back at the year that's just passed, isn't it? Um, I think we all kind of do that. You certainly get those TV shows that come out, like the, the best of whatever happened this year. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest, I think it's safe to say that for most of us, 2020 um, is a year that we probably don't want to look back on too much. Um, it's one of the strangest and, and one of the most difficult years that probably any one of us can remember. Um, almost every part of everyone's life has been affected in some way. Uh, I know a lot of us have been working from home for a long time. Uh, maybe you're someone who's had to adjust to educating their kids at home. Uh, I was just chatting to a friend the other day about uh, all the people that we haven't seen in, in, in almost a year. Or maybe you're one of the many people, even in our church, who find themselves being more lonely and more isolated than they ever have been before. Uh, mental health problems are on the rise. Even with the hope of a vaccine for COVID uh, coming in, uh, we're, we're still facing a mental health crisis when this is all over. Not only that, but not to mention the people who have missed out on cancer treatment this year or the uncertainty of, of Brexit that's just around the corner. Or, or, and of course, we can't forget and we shouldn't forget the, the thousands and thousands of people around the world who have lost family members and loved ones and friends and children and, and parents and grandparents to this disease. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that, that we do live normally in a, in a world that's full of fear and anxiety and uncertainty, but, but now more than ever, we feel uh, that we're living in a time of fear worry and uncertainty. Isn't that probably true? And when, we, when people live in times of fear and uncertainty, uh, it's easy for panic to set in, isn't it? And self-preservation to take over. Self-preservation, I should say. Uh, remember earlier on in the year whenever people didn't really know what lockdown would look like and people were just buying all the toilet roll in Tesco's? Couldn't find, couldn't find pasta anywhere. And another thing that happens in times of fear and uncertainty is that it gives rise to conspiracies, doesn't it? And we've definitely seen that this year, right? We all have a crazy relative who's posting these mental conspiracies online. If you don't have one of those people, that's probably because you're that person. Um, and in times of fear and uncertainty, human beings very easily and very quickly resort to self-preservation, not knowing who to trust and not knowing what to fear. And this is exactly what was going on in the passage we just read. Uh, Judah, in the time of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is born, was a time of fear, uncertainty, and conspiracy. 
So let me just set the scene, because at this time, the nation of Israel, that we're probably most of us are all familiar with, has actually been divided into two kingdoms. There's a civil war and a rebellion and a separation. And the northern kingdom, who rejected God's king, is called Israel. And to the south, the smaller kingdom, there is Judah, where Jerusalem is. And even though Judah is small, it's pretty well off. Isaiah chapter 2 tells us that their land is full of gold. Uh, There is no end to their treasures, it tells us. But even though they have plenty of wealth, things are not going well for them. And they basically have these two main problems. They have enemies on the outside, and then they have sin on the inside. You see, there's an alliance of nations to the north, right? Including uh, the northern kingdom of, of Israel who are planning to attack them. They want to conquer them. And they seem to be in league with the Assyrian Empire, which is basically this massive superpower who invaded and conquered huge areas of the ancient world. They were ruthless. They were big. They were dangerous. They, 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 they made thousands of people into slaves. They actually kept historical records boasting about all the different people they enslaved. But what Judah should really be worrying about, according to the prophet Isaiah, is the sin inside their nation. You see, their land might be full of treasures, but chapter 2, verse 8 tells us that it's also full of idols. They aren't worshiping God, they're worshiping idols and practicing the occult. Not only that, but chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that the rich were getting richer while the poor were getting poorer. All the power was in the hands of the rich while the poor were being forgotten about. All people cared about was themselves. Self-preservation had well and truly set in. Chapter 5, verse 23, tells us that the innocent were being deprived of their rights. Everyone's just trying to live as, as extravagantly, as carefree as they could without any responsibility for anyone else. They're just doing what feels good, living the party lifestyle. You can read this in chapter 5. For the wealthy, it was a time of pure consumerism. Chapter 5, verse 20 sums it up perfectly. Sums up what was going on in Judah at this time. This was a country in which evil was called good and good was called evil. And all of this, both the enemies on the outside and the sin on the inside were because people had forgotten God. They had rejected God's wisdom and counsel. They weren't living under His law the way the people of Israel were supposed to. A law which, if they had obeyed it, would have protected the innocent, would have cared for the poor, and would have brought prosperity for all, and no one would have gone without. And instead of a prosperous society for all, they find themselves facing an unbeatable enemy, while the rich continue to get richer, and the poor are forgotten. This is a people that has seriously lost its way. No wonder Isaiah says that this is a land of deep darkness. Chapter 8, verse 20 tells us that all they can see is distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. And I wonder you're reading or you're listening to me talk about this and explain this, and you think, huh, some of that could be written about our time and the place that we live. Everyone living for themselves, what they can get out of life, the gap between rich and poor only getting wider. In the middle of a pandemic, almost every news story this week has been about how we can all have the best Christmas yet, how we can have the Christmas just the way we want it. We have, we've had the government slashing and cutting aid budgets in the time of crisis. Even when a vaccine does come out, it's going to go to the world's richest countries first, while the poor go without. 
Oh, he's getting political. Well, yeah, we bet. <laughs> Do we not live in a time of fear and anxiety and conspiracy? Do we not live in a time that seems to be without hope, without light, even without joy? If you've ever been to a carol service, and oh, we, we, we wish we could have our carol services this year. But if you've ever been to carol service, you'll have heard these words from Isaiah 9, verse 2, uh, read. And this is what it's referring to. The people walked in darkness. The people dwell in a land of deep darkness. And the darkness of Judah in Isaiah's time uh, made itself known. It manifests itself in two ways. Uh, and probably in the same two ways, I think it shows up in our society too. Fearing the wrong things and trusting the wrong things. See, Ahaz, the king of Judah, he, he saw all these conspiracies everywhere. He was living in constant fear of the rumors of threats and alliances among his enemies. And his first problem that he was fearing conspiracies and his enemies when he should have been fearing God. And what does God say to him through Isaiah in chapter 8, verses 12 to 14? He says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. How often in our lives do we fear the wrong things? We, don't we, we? I mean, we fear what people think of us. I'd say that's maybe uh, the biggest one. We fear what people think of us. We fear losing friends. We fear keeping up appearances. We fear losing financial security. We fear not being liked or accepted. We fear all these things. But do we fear God? And all this does is lead us into darkness and despair. How much of our lives are lived in a state of anxiety? I can't tell you how many people I speak to and they tell me they struggle with anxiety. How much time do we spend worrying? And I wonder how much unnecessary gloom we bring in ourselves by fearing the wrong things. God says, don't fear what other people fear. Fear me, and I will become a sanctuary to you. But it's funny, our temptation isn't just to fear the wrong things, it's to trust the wrong things, isn't it? And this is just what they were doing in Judah 2,700 years ago. Verse 19 of chapter 8 tells us that in their darkness and fear, the people were consulting mediums and necromancers. They were trying to talk to the dead. You see, they thought the dead people could tell them something that would give them hope. They were trying to find answers for the living among the dead. Isaiah says, should a people not inquire of their God? <laughs> they're, they're trying to control and know the future. And, and then when they realize that they're not in control, they blame their leaders. Verse 21 says that they speak with contempt against their king and their God. Doesn't this just sound like our time? When things go wrong, we, we blame God. We blame our politicians. We blame our, our leaders. We look outside of ourselves and never stop to examine our own hearts. And just like us, when, when we're facing the wrong things and trusting the wrong things, all it does is make us try to control everything. If I can just get this work situation under control, then I, I think I'll be able to sleep better at night. I, I know I'll be okay. Well, if I can just get this person to do this, then I can do this, and, and then we'll be okay. 
But the truth is, if we don't fear God, then he's not a sanctuary to us. If we're not walking in his wisdom, we're walking in darkness. Now, let me pause here for a second while I get a drink. But also, to ask you, just whatever you're doing this morning, wherever you're at, maybe you've got kids running around, maybe you're sitting with a cup of coffee, ask yourself how you are this morning. Do you, do you feel sometimes like you're walking in darkness? Are you, do you feel sometimes like you're living in fear uh, and you're listening to conspiracies? Well, can I maybe challenge all of us, myself included? Do we fear the wrong things? Are we trusting the wrong things? See, I think that most of the time we keep ourselves walking in darkness because instead of looking to the light of God's truth, we're so bound up in fear that we end up trusting the lies. Lies that tell, tell you you're not good enough, tell you you're not pretty enough, tell you you're not thin enough, tell you you're not woke enough, tell you you're not successful enough, tell you you're not man enough, tell you you're not feminist enough, tell you you're not accepted, not loved, and too worthless to, for God to even love. And we listen to these lies. The people walked in darkness. The people lived in a land of deep darkness. And just like the time of Isaiah, I feel this, and I think we all do, that we need truth. We need hope. We need light. We need wisdom. And maybe you're thinking, right, you're really bumming me out here. Uh, this is supposed to be Christmas time, Advent. Well, don't close your laptop. L- let me just say this, because this is where we're going to turn a corner. Into the darkness, light has come. Into the gloom, joy has come. Into the anxiety, peace has come. And we needed to to spend time considering the darkness so that we can appreciate the light, so that we can recognize the light. And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah does. The end of chapter 8 tells us, uh, gives us this picture of how dark things are without God. But then by contrast, that verse 1 of chapter 9 starts with this one tiny word that changes everything. But... But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Something's going to change. God will not let his people stay in darkness. God will not let his people stay in anxiety. God will not let his people stay in slavery. Into this thick darkness, God shines a light. In the middle of their darkest hour, God shows up and look what happens. Their nation is increased. Their joy is multiplied. It's going to be like the kind of party you would have when you have a bumper harvest. It's going to be like the kind of party you have when a war is over and people are dancing in the streets and there's parades. And God will do this. Listen, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Uh, please let this impact you because sometimes we hear things and we, and we hear it, but we don't really take it in. So, so uh, position your heart, posture your heart to accept this truth this morning. Our God is a God who does not let his people stay in anguish. Our God is a God who does not let his people stay in anguish. Our God is a God who doesn't let his people stay in darkness, even when that darkness is of our own making. Isn't this the story of the Bible? Isn't the story of history? From the very, very beginning, God shows up in the middle of our darkness. When Adam and Eve sinned at the very, very start, they tried to hide themselves from God. They were ashamed. God didn't turn his back on them and say, well, you've made your bed, so now you have to lie in it. No. 
He showed up. He followed them into their darkness. He provided salvation for them. Listen, if Christmas is anything, it's a time to remember, it's a reminder to us that, that God follows us into our darkness. He follows us into our darkness. Into the darkness of our hearts, He chose to shine a light. Into the darkness of our own making, He chose to be the light. God does not leave His people in darkness and anguish. God rescues His people, and He replaces darkness with light. He replaces anxiety with joy. He replaces slavery with freedom. He replaces conflict with peace. You say, well, how does He do this? How does God do this? I think he does it in the most God way ever, doesn't he? The most God way to do this ever. Through the birth of a child. <laughs> Imagine being the Israelites or the people of Judah. The most powerful army and the most cruel nation the world has ever known at that time is coming over the hill. And Isaiah the prophet, the person who's speaking on behalf of God, says, hey guys, don't worry, a child is going to be born. See, the world's all scrambling around and Stella is trying to be big and bad and powerful and God says, here's a child. Here's a child. You see, his power is not our power. His power transcends uh, all our ideas of what power really is. And in, the promising, and in promising the birth of a child, God's setting us up for this suffering servant king who would be wounded for our sins. Vulnerable, small and weak. You know how easy it is to snuff out a candle? That's what this baby is like. That's what the power of God is like. This is the paradox of how God works. The Jews were looking for the hope of Israel, and the world is still looking for hope. In that respect, not much has changed in the past nearly 3,000 years. The hope of Israel back then wasn't some superhero Thor kind of warrior who's going to defeat all the Assyrian Empire. And the hope of the world right now isn't a, a, a vaccine for COVID or a Brexit trade deal. God says that this child will be the one who can deal with your uh, darkness and depression. God says this child will deliver you, not a mighty military leader or a warrior. A child. Listen, the answer to all of our fear, all of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our enemies is this child. How do you find joy in your anxiety? This child. How do you find hope in your despair? This child. How do you find light in your darkness? This child. How do you find peace in your struggles? This child who follows us into our darkness. In those ancient times, uh, the, the, the king of the nation uh, was to stand in God's place and to do God's work. But the kings of Israel had, had failed spectacularly. And so God promises a new king. I'm going to give my people a new king, an eternal king, a forever king. And in those days, there was a custom of royal names. And the royal names helped the people understand the purpose of their new king and, and how they would reign, what kind of king they would be. And it's in that tradition uh, that, that this child, God's king that's promised, is given royal names. And the first one of those names is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor is our first glimpse of the light in the darkness. This is the first dawning of hope, our Wonderful Counselor. 
Now, what do you think of when you think of a counselor? For me, I think of like a therapist, right? But before I tell you what it is, I need to rule out what it's not. This child, our king, is not just a heavenly therapist. He's not just an advisor. Because here's the thing with advice. Even the best advice, you can always get in a second opinion. There's always more advice to come, right? But with this child, there is no second opinion. He's not just the best among good, wise opinions or advisors. This child is the exalted and eternal source of wisdom. This is the baffling an amazing paradox, the mystery of the incarnation, that a child is the source of all wisdom. Think about any kind of leader or ruler, right? Any kind of a king or queen or president or prime minister. Yes, they have power and authority, but they rely on aides. They rely on a staff. They rely on counselors. Uh, we're watching The Crown and The West Wing at the minute. And in, and in both those shows, what you see is these incredibly powerful people relying on other people telling them where to go and what to do, how to make decisions. But this wonderful counselor has no need of a staff. He has no need of aids or advice. He is the source of wisdom. Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 13 and 14. In fact, when you go, I was going to say, when you go home today, when you stay at home today, read Isaiah chapter 40. It's incredible. But it says that, that no one can counsel God. I mean, who is there? Uh, who would he consult? <laughs> Who's he going to go and ask for help? Who can show him the path of justice? Who's going to make him understand? He is the source of wisdom. I love the story of G Jesus as a wee boy in, in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Mary and Joseph, when Jesus was 12, uh, they went up as a family to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, a, a Jewish festival. And when the festival was over, they left Jerusalem, uh, but they forgot Jesus, <laughs> right? Uh, and I love that because it's kind of like home alone, uh, only way worse. Can you imagine like, Mary, we forgot the Son of God. <laughs> like the stakes are a wee bit higher. Not that you sh it's okay to forget your children. Don't forget your children. But I love the humanity of them. But anyway, they go back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple and he's like, what? Of course I'm in the temple. This is my father's house. But what he's doing as a 12-year-old boy, he's sitting with all the leaders and all the teachers, experts who've been studying the Bible for years. And it says, that it says that they were all amazed by his understanding. You see, the wisdom of Jesus surpasses our understanding. And what they didn't realize is that this child was the source of all wisdom. And this is why he's called Wonderful Counselor. You see, we kind of lower the meaning of the word wonderful, right? Uh, everyone at this time of year watches uh, It's a Wonderful Life, don't we? Uh, classic movie, and it's about life being good. And, and at the end, stick to the end, guys. But at the end of the movie, like, life is good again. It's wonderful. Even the other day, I heard someone describe their beer as wonderful. If your beer is reflecting the splendor of the Lord Jesus, that's some really good beer. Do you know what I mean? But the Bible has this much higher meaning of the word. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, wonderful means great. It means splendor and majesty. It's about wondrous works. Things that are too great and, and, and amazing to put into words. In the Bible, what is wonderful is to be worshipped and adored. Actually, in the ancient language, in the ancient Hebrew, wonderful isn't an adjective. It's not a describing word. It's a concept. 
Wonder is, is used to describe only things that God could do. Psalm 111 it shows us this perfectly. Here's what it says. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in, him, in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. And then the psalm goes on to describe some of these wonderful works. How the wonder of God is displayed through what he does. Wonderful is used when the wonder of God is poured out through his works. In other words, God defines wonder himself. Wonder can only be truly defined in terms of God. And only what God does is truly wonderful. God is the only true meaning of wonderful. And so in order for this promised child to be the wonderful counselor, he had to be God. In other words, the incarnation, God becoming a human being is the only possible fulfillment of this promise. By saying he's wonderful counselor, he's saying this is God. God only wise. Wonder denotes something that can only be about God. And so only God made flesh could be this wonder baby. And yes, I did say wonder baby. This child is the one in whom wonder is defined. If you want to see something truly wonderful, look at this child. Psalm 111 and 112 uh, uh, go together, obviously. <laughs> They're, you know, that might sound silly, but um, it's almost like 112 is a continuation of 112 or a reply to 112. And at the end of Psalm 111 and the start of uh, 112, put wisdom and wonder together. This is what it says. It'll be on the screen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he's just been talking about the wonder of God, and now he's talking about wisdom. All those who practice it, all those who practice the fear of the Lord, have a good understanding. Wisdom comes from, from fearing God. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who, who greatly delights in his commandments. Do you see? When we fear God, when we honor him as holy, we will have a good understanding. We will have wisdom. And not only that, we will be blessed. See, living under the, the, the wisdom of our wonderful counselor changes how we see the world. It changes how we interpret what's going on around us. And so instead of living in fear and anxiety and in darkness and worry, we become stable and live in the light. Because we know that a disease isn't the most powerful thing ever, that God is. We know that the uncertainty of some uh, political decisions, those things aren't ultimately to be feared, because those things too shall pass. And only God will last forever. Psalm 112 goes on to describe people who live under the wisdom of God. And here's some of the things it says. Verse 4, it says that light dawns in the darkness for those who live in the wisdom of God. Verse 5 says it is well with them. Verse 6, they will never be moved. Verse 7, they are not afraid of bad news. That one really stood out to me. Verse 8, their heart is steady. Verse 9, they are generous. People who live in, the, in awe of the wonderful counselor, who live under his wisdom, are stable, secure, peaceful, and generous. 
Isn't that how you want to live your life? Do you want to be like this? Do you want peace in the times of your conflict? Do you want to have stability in the times of your anxiety? Do you want to have hope in the hard times? Do you want to not be afraid of bad news? Imagine going into the doctor not afraid because you know the wonderful counselor. Do you want to be generous even when your bank balance tells you you should be storing up everything and all that you can get? Well then, Know the wonderful counselor and live under his wisdom. Live in awe of the wonder of our all-wise one. Fear the Lord. Delight in his commands. There is wisdom to be found in him that passes our understanding. And this child born to us has infinite wisdom to, to carry us through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. But sometimes... Sometimes the wisdom of God doesn't seem like wisdom to us, right? We all know this. I mean, where is the wisdom of a weak and vulnerable baby being the source of power and salvation? Where is the wisdom in strength being weakness? Where is the wisdom in, in turning the other cheek? Where is the wisdom in praying for those who persecute you? Where is the wisdom in blessing those who curse you? Where's the wisdom and the great hope of the world giving himself up to execution on a cross? Where's the wisdom? I love when, when, on the night when, when Jesus is arrested, um, Peter tries to resist and he, he swings for this guy's head with a sword and cuts off his ear and, 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 and Jesus heals him. Because Peter's heart is like, this is not wise. Jesus, we've got some followers. We've got a bit of momentum going now. Let's take the system on. Let's change the world. Let's do what you've been promising. And Jesus says, that's not my way. Where's the wisdom of the great hope of our salvation being put to death on a cross? And yet it's in this very thing that we find the wisdom of our wonderful counselor ultimately and fully displayed. I was saying to these guys earlier before we started this morning that um, Finley, our boy who's six, it's like he's finally put Christmas and Easter together as the same person. Uh, so the other day he said, yeah, you know, Jesus was born at Christmas, yeah. And then he's like, and Jesus died? And I said, yeah. And he's like, the same Jesus? Like, shock and horror, the same Jesus? Uh, yes, it is. You see, the child was born 700 years after this promise was given. And the child grew up and he wasn't served as a king. He served others. He, he didn't cling to life. Even though he created all of life, he gave up his life. And this doesn't seem wise to us. Come on, Jesus, defeat your enemies. Come on, Jesus, set up your new kingdom. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who, who don't understand it. I mean, have you ever thought, why didn't Jesus come the first time round the way we're told he's going to come in Revelation 19 one day? Riding on a horse with a sword, crushing evil, establishing his reign and rule forever. Why did he not come that way the first time? And the answer is, because the wisdom of God is sacrificial love for us at all costs. 
The wisdom of God is sacrificial love for us at all costs. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, if Jesus had come first time round as a mighty warrior and destroying all evil, he would, had, he would have had to have destroyed us too. We are all sinful. We are all children of death. We all walk in darkness without Jesus. But because he loves us at all costs, he had to come as weak and vulnerable. He had to come to die. He had to become one of us. He had to live as one of us and die as one of us so that by entering death for us, he could defeat death so that when he finally does destroy death forever, we won't be destroyed. Instead, we'll be saved and be with him in perfect peace and joy and fulfillment forever. This is the wisdom of God. This is our wonderful counselor. Do you see? This is how we have light in our darkness. This is how we have peace in our anxiety. This is how we have, 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 have joy in our sorrow. He, the wisdom of God is sacrificial love for us at all costs. Of strong becoming weak. Of almighty God becoming a helpless baby that could be snuffed out like a candle. And listen, as John said earlier, maybe you're watching this this morning and you're not a Christian, and, and we're so glad you are. And, 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 and maybe you are watching this with a kind of curiosity, or maybe you just feel that, that, that loneliness or the darkness, I don't know. But if you've never trusted in Jesus, this is for you too. Like the, 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 the hope that we have, the, 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 the wisdom that we receive from God. Jesus is the fullness of the wisdom of God, and he died for you. And you can have that hope that is found in him. There is light for you today. All you have to do is trust him. And for us as Christians, in Advent, we don't just look back, and I'm nearly finished. We don't just look back to the, the coming of Christ as a child. We look forward to his return as a king. Our hope isn't just that our circumstances are going to change. Our, 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 we're not just waiting for our lives to get a wee bit better. The wisdom of our wonderful counselor is beyond that. The wisdom of God allows us to know and trust that a new day is coming. So we're not just waiting for our immediate circumstances to change. We're waiting for the return of our king. And don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. God cares deeply about your immediate circumstances right now, whatever you're going through here and now, and he is with you. But, but as we endure these things, as we endure the circumstances we find ourselves in, we wait for the return of our king. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and we need to see the scope of what God is doing through all of history. We were watching, uh, uh, we were watching Blue Planet 2 last Sunday and, and Dave Attenborough, I mean, that's pure Sunday afternoon TV, is it? Um, and he, they had these like cameras down at the bottom of the sea and, and they had these uh, thermal vents that have been forming for billions of years, like four billion years or something. And it just made me think, when we talk about waiting on God, <laughs> we have no idea what we're talking about. His time scale is not on our time scale. 700 years between this prophecy and the birth of a baby is nothing for him. Sometimes to find our hope to find the hope and the wisdom of God is to take a step back and, and find solidarity with the scope of what God is doing through all of history. You see, he is making all things new. 
He is making a people for himself of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. And one day, listen, if you're a Christian, this is our great hope. If you're not, this can be your hope. Just trust in Jesus. One day, we, we're going to look to the east. I don't know where the I'm probably facing east right now. We're going to look to the east, and we will see our king in all his glory, our wonderful counselor. And in that day, in that new dawn, and everything's going to seem that bit brighter. Everything's going to seem that bit clearer. There will be no gloom. And when someone asks us, how are you feeling? You'll realize that, that you feel completely well, completely at peace, completely content, completely home. This is the hope that we have to look forward to. This is the hope that our wonderful counselor, the wisdom of God has won for us. And in the meantime, we trust him. Trust him who is our wonderful counselor so that we can be people of, of peace, not full of worry, so that we can be steady, not anxious, generous, not greedy. We can love sacrificially and surrender our power and just simply trust the wisdom of our wonderful counselor. Listen, church, I'm finished, but he is coming, and he's coming soon. It, it's almost like the, 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 the first fingers of light of dawn are coming over the horizon. That's how close we are to our king returning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just have to worship you. We just have to realize how other you are, that, that your wisdom is not our wisdom. When we talk about wisdom, when we talk about wonder, they are nothing compared to you. They don't even scratch the surface. Father, I pray that you would learn, you would teach us to worship your wisdom, to worship that you are God only wise. And Father, uh, we thank you, just in our desperation, that we thank you that your wisdom is strength becoming weakness, is creator God becoming a baby, is the source of life giving up his life to die on a cross. Father, without that, without the incarnation, without our wonderful counselor being born 2,000 years ago, we'd be lost. Father, I pray that you would uh, encourage all of us, that you would help us all to look to the horizon, all to look to the east, all to wait for your coming. But we know that a new day is coming and we love you and we trust you. Help us, Lord, as we look forward to that great day. Lord, make that what Advent is all about for us this year. In Jesus' name, for his glory alone. Amen.